Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dan Howells, your host for the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast. And we're back again for part two with Spencer Goggin, where we dig into the stumbles element of his career to date. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you this episode. We dig into things like why a mohawk is just totally unprofessional and what types of mistakes we've made across our careers with regards to injuries or program design and so, so much more. So we'll head straight into the episode now and dig into the weeds around stumbles and what lessons can be learned from our mistakes. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast. I've got Spencer Goggin again with me, who gave fantastic insight last week into strategies around his program design with divers. We're going to go a little bit more towards Spence as a practitioner now, looking back a little bit more on his career, I imagine. But we're going to dig deep into the stumbles and the mistakes that we we do make as practitioners that often we probably don't share enough of because there's a lesson within every mistake we make. Um, if we've got some some self-awareness around it. So Spence, let's just go back then. I guess the start of your career is a really good place to reflect on potential mistakes. Is there anything from early in your career, any early mistakes you encountered that you know you look back on and think, okay, I, I could have done that differently. Could I offer that advice to somebody else now? Yes. Oh, well, thanks for having <laughs> me back, first of all. And there are, there are a lot. So um I started out very first internship at the club that I, I played for as an apprentice player growing up. So back at Worcester Warriors, who I think have unfortunately fell and fallen into whatever, some kind of financial strife at the moment. So, um, But that meant coaching a lot of the guys that I played with when I went into becoming an intern. And um, that was really, really challenging. I fell into the trying to be liked versus actually just becoming a better strength conditioning coach trap way too often. And I was very lucky to have a patient mentor, Lee Douglas, I think is at Hartbury now. He was my yeah, Lee's a great guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was very patient with me and taught me a lot of lessons. It gave me a lot of opportunity to to figure out what it actually meant to be um a professional SNC coach. But it took me quite a long time to figure out what what professional means as well. Mm-hmm. Um, take yourself a bit more seriously as a person. Can you share? Can you share some of the the frown moments, the, the moments you look back on and cringe? Oh, ah. There's one that sticks out head and shoulders above <laughs> the. So I was at uni at the time as well, and as part of the university game, you had to dye. You remember the Romanian team dyed their hair blonde for some yeah, World bleached. Cup. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought it'd be a good idea to join in with the rest of the lads on on that. And then, so we played the game and well, we were about to play the game. I had to roll in and do my internship the day before and had a bright blonde mohawk. Safe to yeah. say, yeah. I didn't go down too well. And I did not get to finish the day because uh, one of the academy managers basically told me to not come back until I'd shaved my head. So that was the first time I had a, a yeah. buzz cut at what 19 or something and that was a moment for me where i was like all right i can't i can't have that uni yeah. life try and do this this there has to be yeah. some that balance here and you know so, or at least you know, yeah i mean those are so close those circles it's rugby with rugby right i guess you can yeah. still do, do that in separate sports um uh, uh, let's dig into the fact that you've got your peers or friends as your athletes and mm. You've mentioned they're slipping into not necessarily unprofessional approaches, but I guess you've flexed to accommodate friends in that situation. What did that look like? Was it 
did it manifest as banter? Did it manifest as like letting them do what they wanted to do? Yeah. You know, they were they were pretty good actually. They knew that I was trying to grow as a coach and the, the lines were a bit blurred. Um but it just that the level of respect that you naturally have for a coach as an athlete wasn't quite there. And I through the situation and circumstances that weren't really my fault, but they there was it was just more to, sessions would turn into banter and we'd get distracted and mm. the intensity would fall away. And and now being able to sit where I am now and look back at that coach that was was going around then I see it happened quite a lot for young coaches still yeah. where they meet athletes and this might be their first or second job and the athlete has a, a profile and you want to connect with that person but they just want you to do your job like just yeah. deliver as a coach yeah. and then we'll become friends at the end of it I'm yeah. sure if you this then that bit happens naturally the athletes that are going to be successful have the best opportunity for success don't want you to make it easy for them just mm. to to accommodate it being easy you know um and i you know you and i have done some mentorship together and you end up talking about this difference between being liked and being respected because i'm sure in that situation for some people yeah i like the way spencer's being with me as a young coach and he's making it enjoyable and easy but i don't respect the fact that this training is is not hard it's not challenging me whereas on the flip if they can respect the way you drive their training and like you that's that's going to be the sort of that, that's what success looks like i think for a coach and it's tough for a young coach to to do have you got any advice for young coaches who are in that position in terms of trying to set those boundaries for themselves yeah it, it, some of the best young coaches that i've been fortunate to work with they just know their sh so i'm mm. sorry for the vanity sorry. on this part yeah. Um, they they're normally uh, either powerlifting athletes or they've had a really inherent interest in bodybuilding or whatever some kind of strength training or conditioning activity as their sport and when they come through their ability to translate or get that information across the athletic group that they're working with hmm. adds that layer of credibility that means that more senior athletes even though you're a young coach go Oh, this guy knows, or this girl knows what what they're on about here. So mm -hmm. I'm already going to gravitate towards liking them. I think just knowing knowing the technical, knowing the X's and O's, knowing your physiology, even if it's really basic, and being able to be verbose in that helps yeah. deliver you, even as a young coach. Yeah, and that, I think that's probably it's, it's a great example of where people might make mistakes in the sense that they make a decision to program in a certain way, or set up a certain drill or exercise, and haven't thought about the why. And they get found out and actually mm -hmm. you should be really preparing quite diligently and yet like those individuals you talk about lucky for them have gone through maybe the experience of being an athlete and they've been on the receiving end they know what intensity means they know what the right rest means they know um what speed looks like etc and for those that are listening that maybe don't have that uh, high uh experience of maybe being on the receiving end as an athlete You've got to put yourself under the bar, I say. You've got to put yourself through these experiences that you're asking your athletes to do. So you've got an ability to relate to that intensity of work. And you have a why behind everything you do. That's really cool. So coming in through the, the latter part of your career at any point, what other mistakes have you made along the journey there? So it's, it's this evolution of uh, you start to know your stuff 
So you get some firm beliefs as a coach and then you move on to another environment and you take those beliefs with you and fall into the trap of trying to just pick up what you had here and go, well, that worked there. This is a similar environment where I'm delivering, changing the same you know, strength, whatever. This is how I develop strength here. So this is how I'll do it here. Yeah. And when it doesn't work and you don't manage conflict well, it erodes any belief that anyone else has in that set of principles that you've brought with you from your mm -hmm. previous role. So that's something that um, my latter well, years now as a coach, the last couple I've worked really hard on is, is how to, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? So how do you bring people on board with the message that you're trying to deliver, athletes, coaches, front office, whoever it is, mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then pull people along with you slower but more collaborative? Can you bring that to life? Obviously, without naming names or teams, but you know, what was the environment? Was it a rugby into a different sport or union to league? But then, you know, what did that look like on the ground? What was the impact of it? Give yeah, some sure. uh, listeners some some ideas of some of the friction it might have created in 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 that environment for you. Yeah, sure. So, um, I won't be too specific, mm -hmm. but what I will say is we've had me with a strong set of beliefs and then another member of the performance team with a similar set of experiences, different sports, um, more medical, medically driven versus, you know, strength yeah. conditioning, performance driven. Uh, and when they didn't align rather mm -hmm. than both parties sitting down and going, okay, rather than me versus you mm -hmm. and one of us, right. It's going to be us versus the problem. Hmm. I fell into the trap of feeling as if I had to come out of these meetings and uh, conversations with being right versus what's best for the athlete. And so as soon as I could put my ego to one side, perhaps, and look at this more objectively rather than having a, an emotional reaction to being perceived as wrong, um, the, the whole relationship blossomed. And now it's great. Right now, it's in a really, really good place. But that initial six months was was quite challenging for me to be able to to take some of my ego out of the conversation. I guess. Yeah, and I, again, getting into the weeds of what that looks like for people to maybe raise their self awareness as listeners is: did that look like uh, was it nonverbal behaviour that you were just you you became grumpy and, and intolerant to work with, or was it that your words were challenging, like you know? Why are we not doing this? Or I don't agree with you. you now, how how direct were you? What was it specifically that was your ego brought out of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. It was probably nonverbal, and and when we were in communication, I'd be really blunt, like monosyllabic, yeah. um, which was obviously. But I'm not hiding any. I'm quite, it can be quite emotional. They sit just beneath the surface sometimes, especially if I start to get frustrated. And that's something I'm now aware of and have to yeah. physically work on to make sure it doesn't get that way. But part of the, part of the advice that I got was when you're having these discussions, rather than sitting around a table, kind of interview, feeling, just go for a walk, change the environment and yeah. see if that changes the feel of your conversation. Even just doing that two or three times at the start went, oh, yeah. gee, it's, it's so different straight away. Yeah. Cle clearly, you've had some feedback there then and, and, and some advice. Was that sought after advice or was that, hey, man, I need to help you out here before this gets out of hand? No, I went, 
I went looking for it because there were a couple meetings and incidents, I guess the incidents is a bit strong, but a couple of meetings where I left and I'd sit at my desk or I'd go and get a bit of fresh air and go, oh, this isn't, this isn't me. And well, it is me, but this isn't how I want to behave in these situations. So yeah. what's coming up for me? So I've got, yeah, I've got a couple of both internal and external bits of feedback. The feedback with it was very similar. Yeah. Um, they both know me. So, uh, was that yeah, tough was- to deal with? Like, cause maybe if we look at this retrospectively, you could say, yeah, the problem was you without you realizing it, you know, and you've really had a heightened awareness to this, but was that tough to deal with in the moment? Were you, did you argue against that in your head? Um, maybe subconsciously for a bit, but I've, I think it's part of becoming a little bit older. You, you start to <laughs> yeah. be a bit more reflective in what you do and how you look at who you are. So it just fit with some of the stuff that I'd done in my little break from sport that I'd had post um, post initial stint with the Western Force. Uh, I'd done some work there. And then when I saw these behaviors come up again, I was like, ah, okay, I know what I need to do now. I've got to go and just get a bit of feedback and, and sit and think and be really have a lot of purpose behind when i go into this meeting this is how i'd like to behave reflect on it do it again until it became a natural cycle and yeah happily it's just it's part of part of who i am now which is which is gross yeah i think there's a huge element to this career like you say as you get older and wiser and a little bit more reflective and you can probably control your emotions a little bit better it becomes easier to deal with these things i think the one thing that i'm hearing is the impact of, say, even just nonverbal behavior on, on any situation that you, and you're trying to collaborate and work with people. Um, and that's something to really be, be aware of. But also the, the seeking, uh, not validation is the wrong word, but confirmation or not as to what you're feeling, you know, uh, openly asking in a vulnerable sense, you know, what am I manifesting here? Am I coming across badly? What are your thoughts? And doing that with confidence to not worry about the response you get you're asking because you want to improve you know um so that's really cool in terms of programming uh mistakes we've talked here mostly about people so far let's dig Mm. into the technical side um is there anything that stands out for you in your career where you've stumbled in program design there's been a negative outcome what what does that looked out like and what have you learned from it i think I was probably being guilty of, of perhaps being a bit conservative previously. You know, the um, availability statistic gets yeah. pushed and we need players available. Well, yep, the best way to be available is to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you just sat on the sofa all week, you'd be available for 100% of training. Would you be any good? Probably not. But I was guided quite heavily by this availability driver and at times of the year absolutely that is your number one but at other times of the year you've got to you've got to find where your edges are a little bit and i'm not saying be a cowboy because it's a you do it's a calculated safe fail experiment let's call it so if mm. the worst case scenario is people pull up a bit sore for a few more days than you thought um you know chance i might listen to this podcast in 12 months time have that same approach and then get do three calf muscles in a week or somewhere yeah. and then it becomes a yeah. problem but at the moment uh and with the group that i'm working with at the sharks we're in a we're in a very hard block 
Uh, we've gone to 140% straight line MAS this week, which is big in three, mm. three sets of uh, 10 on, 10 off, 12 efforts. So um, wow. we've, had a, yeah, they've had a hard week. You know, we've had lads cover 18, 1900 meters of above five meters mm. per second during yeah. that set. Really, really big exposure. Um, but touching sure. wood, it's all, all going. <laughs> plan at the moment we've got a little bit more to get through but this more aggressive approach is has definitely uh it's, there's there's worth there yeah nice so the mistake there is being too, too conservative and achieving nothing by the sounds of it and actually then being unavailable i imagine at that point anyway it brings up you know i'll share where i can as well here the point you bring up actually reminds me of a mistake i made only in the last well i worked with the sevens for gb up to japan uh, a few years ago and We've got to be really aware as practitioners about the evolution of our practices. Once we recognize the new upper limit, so you've just recognized this new upper limit potentially for your, your rugby league boys. That's amazing, but it's also one thing we need to be right. Okay, that's my new norm, but what is the impact of that potential new norm acutely, but also chronically? And I remember getting the rugby sevens boys to the same kind of approach. And then I went and gave them some independent training. We would train for three or four days in a camp and then we would go home for three or four days and they train independently. And I remember getting them to a point and prescribing them something like three times 12, 15 on, 15 off, which is high. But they got themselves to such a level of fitness that they were doing, like you say, two to 2.4 K of high speed running in, in that session. And then I'd have two or three uh, Soleuses within the next seven to 10 days. And I was like, okay, that's that difference between <clears throat> safe upper limits and, you know, where, where it's counterproductive. Um, so it's amazing you bring that up because I, I, that's one of my mistakes is, is, is structuring something like straight line MAS to such a high extent that we probably impacted the, the, the sort of effects of the next seven to 10 days. And what would I do differently moving forward? I would introduce some more rugby specific work. So we're covering less distance. So it might be that every other rep is, is orientated with down ups, you know, between the 22 meter shuttle. So we're controlling some of that high speed work and, and up, up, upping some of our Excel and detail work. Um, but that's cool. Yeah. You got to get, it's a sweet spot, like, right. An inverted U where conservation is of no good, but also oversaturating is also equally destructive. So that's cool. What about in terms of session organization, exercise selection? Have you been guilty of this? I see a, a scheme, a schematic or a template. I'm going to use that. And there's been any negative imp implications with your athletes? Um, I probably went to some of the Franz Boschy, hip blocky type stuff yeah. a bit early. I, I still use it but with a much better understanding of why it's being used and where it fits in the program. Um, I was perhaps guilty of using it as a primary training stimulus previously, when it's mm. it's not that, it doesn't, that's not the purpose of it, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and that would fall into that same point that I mentioned before of being perhaps a little bit conservative um, and, and not getting enough, enough load. Did, you, enough did you perceive it as being the stimulus and therefore you were conservative without realizing you were being conservative yeah probably i think that's 
the most succinct way to put that together yeah yeah, yeah. you see it as a training stimulus that's creating a an adaptive response as opposed to maybe a coordinative response which is probably what it's more orientated towards and um, yeah. let's look at in that in detail then did that look like okay i've seen some videos or franz has been here to do a, a fantastic cpd event and then the next time you go and write a program it's in there before you've done it yourself did that happen or did you solve um, he yeah he had a, a dvd out ages ago <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know what DVDs are, you're going to have to Google that. But your early CPD was DVD orientated. Yeah, I must have been. I was at the school. I was at Magdalen College School in Oxford when I bought the DVD. And I'm desperately trying to find it again as well. It must be somewhere. It's a relic, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I got really excited by it. And then it was in the athletics program. And then it was in PE. And then it was in the rugby program. And I was just like, just threw it all in there at once. Um, and then it came out because I didn't really understand it and I didn't really tinker with it either or try it up myself. I just threw it out there. Uh, when I got to the force the second time round, there was a, a guy there. Yeah. Called I, 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 one question on that small oh, situation, on, throwing it into everything. Did you love it until somebody said, why are we doing this? Did, did people ask you, they, challenge you in that environment? Yeah. The, the, I loved it still just because the kids really got around it because even the coordinated ones when you move put some of the harder drills in there yeah it challenge. fell apart so from a, a challenge and fail and safe fail and all these kind of that's it had a really powerful learning impact but did i know that the exercises were sequentially improving uh increasing in complexity or ground reaction force no i just rude exercises in there because i liked how they looked and i thought they'd do what i thought think you know, I had a, an idea, but not a not a rational idea. It was yeah. really sick. Yeah. Cool. So I cut you off then. So then you, you talked about moving into rugby with it. Yeah, I went back to the force for the second time. And then a uh, coach there called Anthony Katrupi had done some work with um, some of the Franz Bosch, Franz Bosch systems as well. And we put together, a, as I've just described, a, a framework of progression from mm. um you know, low complexity, high ground react, low complexity, low ground reaction force through to higher. Um, and he, yeah, he was great. He he really steered the ship on that and and taught me a lot. Um, and that's, what was the difference uh, there for him, for you for him for him educating you and guiding you? Was it clarity on the why and the clarity on the transfer, clarity on the impact of that modality? Yeah, there was there was clarity on the mechanism for change when you apply the stimulus. And then what in my mind, when I understood that in more detail, I could then organize exercises to, to fit that uh, change in mechanics or change in how you, your pelvis operates when you move at high speed pretty much was the, the foundation set. Um, and since then, I've tried to work away from pelvis and go down towards the feet and how how are they interacting how is your foot interacting with the ground and see if that helps educate up the chain rather than down the chain so that's where my head's at at the moment but it is again like there's a lot more more clarity of thought as to why they're in there rather than just throwing exercise out there and seeing what comes up yeah what about you know injuries we don't like to admit injuries have happened on our watch and that maybe a a a result of maybe some of the decisions we've made has mm. that ever happened to you like you know in the gym on the field yeah 
yeah one again one really sticks out that um it's so hard right because we encourage mistakes as coaches but yeah i had i said this exact sentence to the athlete in question i said like sometimes our mistakes affect your mm. athletic you know i had a i was rehabbing someone who had had a fit fracture mm. and um didn't respect or perhaps fully understand the loading requirements of bone healing and whilst we'd hit some KPIs around speed and change of direction and, and high speed running volumes and things like that, I don't know if I'd done enough or I would I know now that I hadn't done enough specific plyometric work to stimulate the requirement for bone growth. Mm. And yeah. re two weeks into training as soon as the load started to pick up and the yeah, re injury and then um so you, you you rehab in that sense was more outcome driven as opposed to like let's get these numbers let's get these distances let's do these 20 excel details you're good to go yeah and that's that's that would have been probably no different to a person with a groin injury which is a different anatomical injury and a different tissue response approach um yeah is that yeah okay cool right. yeah i was i was lucky that um you know when it happened I, we went for coffee and I, I basically said, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that's my, that's my bad, but it's your Did career. he think it was your bad? Did he see it that way until um, you said? Don't, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't like, he definitely knew we'd made a mistake because he re-injured. So players know, right? Yeah. Um, but as long as I thought, as long as I'm honest with him and say that, you know, mm. yes, uh, this is what we want to next time round. This is this is the change in the plan. What do you yeah. think about bringing forward? It, it it definitely left made that meeting with a. It felt more positive than if we'd just gone. Oh, yeah. that was oh, oh that, why did that happen? I was looking at each other like the Spider Man meme, pointing yeah. fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And look, it happens on all our watches. I'll probably share numerous examples with different uh, guests, but one that you know I just remember once has popped in my mind now about. Yeah, a hamstring injury that, that had happened that was just probably a load orientated thing that you, yeah, it was a, a complex re set of reasons. But in the rehab process, I distinctly remember the environment I worked in was a little bit frustrating because people, when they got the day off, they loved to have the day off, right? And that's fine. But there was no decision making that was best for the athlete in that sense. And I was like, we should spread this load out. I know it's a day off, but we need to probably expose this individual and we you know do we think he can do it independently do we think we need to be here at the training center and ultimately they i yielded to the fact that like we would get it in the day before off the back of you know, not having the rest day that was planned so we went load load as opposed to load rest load and that that actual loading scheme should have been on the day off so we brought it forward we can just and and they got a little re mini retweak and i was just like at the moment i was like i know what i've done there I've just hoped and, and and hoped that the pressure I've had to put on me to yeah I just we'll put it here it'll be fine, and I knew in my heart of hearts at the po at that point that it was not the right decision for the athlete, mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know it put them back back two weeks. Um, I think the most important thing here is that what we learn from them, these mistakes, right, and that we're we're updating our actions and behaviours and our decisions uh, based on these 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 small mistakes. You know they're not they're not uh, negligent anyway they're just they're accidents i like to call them as opposed to 
to, to mistakes in that sense. Right, that's really, really cool. But I think I want to say thank you so much for being vulnerable here and sharing um, your stumbles for everyone to understand that hey, there's, you know, we're all um, human beings and th these things happen, but actually everything you've talked about there has been uh, clearly pivotal in influencing your career and the future decisions you make. And I think that's the bigger message with episodes like this is to, to help the listeners understand that um, it's okay to, to have accidents, make mistakes, but it's what we learn from them that really define us moving forward. So look, from me to you, and on behalf of the listeners, thanks so, so much for, for sharing in that kind of open and honest and, and vulnerable sense, buddy. Thank you. No problems, Dan. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So that's it. That's our first Stumbles episode complete, our first series with our first guest complete. Thanks so much to Spencer for stepping up to the plate. And I really hope that you like this interesting new format, which looks at both strategies, but also mistakes, stumbles, and, and what we can learn from it and what you can learn from it from as practitioners as well. Next week, we welcome John Noonan, who's going to be talking around race preparation and race day strategies for motorsport drivers before we visit his stumbles the following week. So tune in and I hope you enjoy the listen.